Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. We are podcasting now, hmm. uh, and I am podcasting with one of my oldest Twitter pals, which is a thing that I say in my life, and frequently uh, I will meet one of my Twitter pals, or when we used to do Conan shows, and one of my Twitter pals would come to town and see it, I would have to say, I need a ticket for one of my Twitter pals. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a ticket and like a long-stemmed red rose, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. Yes. And a uh, a horse-drawn carriage to pick them up at the mm-hmm. airport. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but I'm talking to the very funny and incredibly talented writer, uh, Patricia Lockwood. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. How long have you been doing this podcast? Uh, I think this is the end. Well, they call it a season, but I don't know if, what that means. <laughs> You know, because the season, it's like a season uh, of podcasting. Yes, yes. Uh, but I, I guess this is kind of the end of the second year of them. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I try just, not to know anything about podcasts. I hate podcasts as a genre and as yeah. a pastime. Good to and know I, going into this. Uh, yeah, no, I, I did this to challenge myself. I like to challenge myself <laughs> in different ways over this my pandemic year. So I, I considered this a challenge. But well, I've never I've never listened to one after I've done it. Um, I've never listened to anyone else's podcast. So how do you I feel about that? I, I well, you know, I honestly I don't give a shit about anybody I talk to, <laughs> <laughs> virtually or in real life. So what? I mean, you're <laughs> barking up the wrong tree if you expect to care. Me to care. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I never got the rose, I guess. I never came out to L.A. <laughs> to, to attend LA. one of the, the Conan tapings. Yeah. So. Your loss. Because they're you gone. did You did blurb my book, though, and you did call me your friend in the blurb, which was so touching and heartfelt. And I was like, God, the blurbs that you get from comedians are so different than the blurbs you get from actual <laughs> writers. First of all, they're on time. They're yeah. like oh, really? lickety split. Absolutely. Wow. They read the books and then they say really touching things to you. Like this person is my friend. Whether or not you feel that way, they will I do. say it. Yeah. And I think, and I also talked to a, a writer about you because it was sort of like in your early, day, listen, I know my son was still on the tennis team. So that was a number of years ago. Jesse Lichtenstein. You talked uh, yeah. to him for the New York uh, Times Magazine profile, I, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And you were like a new up and comer. And I yeah. don't even know. I think your first book of poetry was coming out. Um, yeah. 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 And and you were, you know, you were a Twitter phenom. And I, <laughs> as one of your, as one of your more, uh, more followed Mutuals, uh, mm, mutuals, yeah, yeah. They wanted they wanted me to talk to you or talk about you, so I did, and I said I think nice things. Yeah, they, they were very nice. They were completely unwarranted, actually. Well, it was very I, very I, kind. I mean, I say you're my friend, but I don't know you that well, so. I mean, yeah, like yeah. you're not the coal is not burning in your heart for me. <laughs> no, it was, not... just, it was very sweet, but like a writer. Oh my God! They take weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months, and then they 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 use all the words like the urgent and the necessary and like liminal sometimes or like palimpsest. They use at times yes. they get the big words in there, but they don't ever say that they're your friend. That's like <laughs> that's, that's not even allowed. It's like illegal for a writer to say that they're blurbing your book because yeah. they're your friend. You they're can't your do friend. that. Uh, th- well, that's that's silly. But what you say about podcasts, I. I actually am kind of on the same page with you in that I had been on a lot of podcasts 
was not a big podcast consumer for ages and ages. People that, you know, team Richter, as I like to call them, uh, would say, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, what would I do? I would feel like such a dilettante because I don't, I, I don't really listen to them that much. And also I have a lot of friends who are very much like at the forefront of podcasting yes, in the and very are really beginning. really good at it. And I don't yeah. know if that's true about you yet. No, well, no, I'm actually one of the best. We'll uh, find out. Pretty we much about anything. Um, but I, w- well, and because friends of mine that were, that were doing podcasts, when people go like, what's a podcast? Mm-hmm. I felt like such a Johnny come lately asshole that I, but then I finally was like, all right, I will do one. And then like four days later, Conan O'Brien says, I'm doing a podcast. I was like, no, motherfucker. What a queen. What a diva. Everything. The big he didn't, hair. He didn't do it in, you know, like, I don't think he was doing it purely to undercut me, but it sure I does. He, I think he it, was. It does dovetail nicely with some of my grudges. It's very convenient. Yeah, it? it sure is. <laughs> so now where where are you right now? Are you Do you, do you still live in Ohio? No, I'm in Savannah, Georgia. So oh, I'm that's actually, right. That's right. Yeah. Yes, in a very beautiful place. And the natural light is pouring in and illuminating one side of my face for you, not the other darker side. But yeah, it's very, very gorgeous here. And we're getting on towards summer. Yeah. Have you been there through the, the full pandemic? We have. And it's very yeah. nice to be here at this moment in time because you we are downtown and you can just walk outside for anything, basically. And being yeah. outside is pretty much safe. So we felt comfortable going to the park and I go outside and I sit on benches and I like work in a really crazy way. Like I think I'm known as a local eccentric, like <laughs> because I'll sit on the bench for like hours and hours and I don't move. Do you write on a pad or do you write on a computer? Yeah. So I have a big pretentious notebook, like a huge one. Um, It's like this, like as big as my torso. And I write in that and I wear like these special hacker gloves. Um, And I sometimes, though, I don't even pick up the notebook and I don't even read a book. And I just stare like in that Robert Frost way where people are like, he's the laziest man in America. And then the punchline is actually that he's a famous poet, which to me is the same. So it's not like a gotcha (laughs) at all. It's not like, oh, oh, he's so lazy. No, he's Robert Frost. No, he's so lazy. And he is Robert Frost. So it's like that. Yeah, I just sit outside and I I do the whole thing there. And sometimes I'll like smile to myself beatifically, like ecstatically, because I'm having an idea. So I think I probably have a reputation. Do you then point at yourself, like, get a load of me, look at me, I'm having an idea? No, no, I like to keep it very pure. So it's just like a feeling that I'm feeling and I don't even consider what other people might think (laughs) as they pass by. Um, Yeah, it's a a crazy person. What are the crazy person gloves for? Oh, uh, nerve compression, Andy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's really sad. What is it? So, oh, like it was after COVID. Or it was after COVID. I got neuropathy in my hands. And then I got oh. these hacker gloves. I know we can talk more about that later because it actually touches on the answers to your questions that are the occasion for this noble podcast. What? Did you have COVID? Is that what you mean? You got I neuropathy? Did. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I had it last March. I had. I feel like I was one of the, the early, you know, pioneering COVID yeah. havers. No, early I got adopters. It, a very early adopter of COVID. I got it after giving a fucking lecture at Harvard, oh. which I did in order to feel like Rory Gilmore. So it was a very base <laughs> motivation that I had. And I was like, I'm going to go to Harvard and I'm going to feel like Rory Gilmore and I'm going to give this lecture about the internet, which is very relevant to our times and today. And I got up there and I did it. And on the plane home, there's this this coughing guy. And he had probably been at the Biogen conference, which was going on at the same time and seeing Mm. all of those cases. So yeah, I got it and I became like completely psychotic, totally insane. And I I wrote a piece about it for the London Review of Books, which is we were discussing is why I have this nice Yeti microphone. I literally wrote, I was like, oh, I became crazy from coronavirus. This is how it worked. Um, yeah, and they sent me the microphone so I could read that out loud so people could hear how the crazy COVID lady sounded. Yeah. <laughs> how how long were you sick? Um, so I was sick like... I mean, not counting the neuropathy. Right, right. So it was like two, three weeks of the actual like ongoing illness. Wow. Yeah, but a lot of my early, a lot of my early symptoms were neurological. Like my first symptom was really, really badly wanting to watch the old Swedish Pippi Longstocking movies from my childhood, <laughs> and I was like, I have to watch these. 
everyone who's in my life has to watch these movies with me and know how important they were to me when I was a child. And I was really, really connecting with these movies on a very deep level. And then it was like, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. But first, yeah, yeah. it was the Pippi Longstocking thing. So that was the like, first symptom. I like how you say that's neurological. Like That, that, that to like, me is, that's the definition of neurological, Andy. <laughs> like that's you what needed, it is. It wasn't that it was nostalgic. It was that you needed to see red pigtails. Yeah, and those yes. pancakes. And she's lifting yeah. a horse above her yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Those, all sort of yeah. tied into Rory Gilmore as well. They they watch it <laughs> in the program. So it was like all tied together for me. But I did this. I fucked around and I played myself because I wanted to go to Harvard and give my little lecture and ruined my own brain. Yeah, um, yeah. In the process. What, what, year, what, what month was this? Uh, the very, very beginning of March 2020. Oh, oh yeah, so wow. We, we just thought we had to wash our hands. We were like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to have such clean hands, and I'm never going to get this brand new respiratory virus. Like, we could oh. not put it together at the time, right? So nobody was wearing the masks, and then I got back, and, and there uh, I was. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. It's No, it's great. I'm going to write, like, Mrs. Dalloway about it. <laughs> did your husband get it, too? Or? He did get it, but he did not have the Pippi Longstocking thing. Oh, and wow. actually, he feels now that it has optimized him. He could write his own essay about how he was optimized by coronavirus. Apparently, this is actually a real thing, that sometimes when you have a virus, it, like, kind of turns off kind of idling background processes in the body. So he feels mentally incredible, and he has the most amazing abs for the first time in his life, and his butt is more defined. And he believes <laughs> this is all the result of, of coronavirus. COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he talked about this, like, in one of the interviews I did for No One Is Talking About This. He was cited as a like, background source because he's my husband. And he talked extensively about the coronavirus optimization, but it didn't make it in, probably because it's so irresponsible to be like, people, go out and get COVID and you'll have this nice ass afterwards. Like, that's not okay. <laughs> you want cantaloupes in your pants? Get the, get the virus. Get the bat disease. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, he should keep that under his hat. He really Yeah, I think he should that. keep it private. And yeah. and it's on this podcast, <laughs> which no one is going to listen to. Let's be real about it. No, come on. Don't say that. No one. Plug it. You can plug it. Plug right it. Now. <laughs> uh, now, you are from the Midwest. Yeah. You are from Ohio? Ohio and St. Louis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and where you were speaking, are you like an upper Midwest guy? Or are you I'm Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but I only lived there for a very short time. But did you notice how I how I said I was like, are you from the glove? Because I felt that about you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's our vacation wonderland. You know, that's Hmm. like, you know, Wisconsin is the Caribbean of of (laughs) Illinois. Uh, (laughs) um, But no, I'm from I'm from. Well, all over the Midwest, but because my dad was a college professor, so he taught at Grand Valley State when I was born. And then he went to uh, Indiana University uh, where he still, he still lives in Bloomington. So I lived in Grand Rapids, Bloomington. And then when my folks divorced, my mother went back to her ancestral home in Yorkville, Illinois. So, Mm. but small town, Illinois, Northern, Northern Illinois, but might as well, you know, once you get outside the collar communities of Chicago land, it doesn't matter. You might you, you could either be in, you know, Mattoon or Rockford. They're all about the same. Now, so you know all about like the pork tenderloin, and you can yes. probably speak extensively on that food item. <laughs> I well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. Would you I say could that you're made of pork tenderloins of uh, the Illinois, Indiana? I definitely pork am made of meat. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And would you say meat. it's pork if you had to narrow down the meat? Yeah, you pork, would or, pork. pork or beef. It would be yeah. pork or beef, yeah. Yeah, I feel like chicken, I'm veal. You're pork, I'm veal. Well, that, you're super classy. I know, and Obviously. I'm forever young, Andy. <laughs> forever young and tender. Yeah, you're a brainy writer doing yeah. London Review of Books. Of Not course you're moving. veal. Well, your yeah. dad is this professor of Russian literature No, not Russian, the Russian language. The Russian language who steals mail from Nabokov's house. Uh, He steals mail. He steals Russian mail from Nabokov's house. See, this is how rumors get started. Get started, I know, on podcasts is how they get started. (laughs) Yes, we were talking before the show started. uh, Or were we? Was it before the show started? Yeah, we were doing our little tech check. Yeah, Yeah. and and my dad on a trip to Russia stole a nail from the foundation Mm. Of Nabokov's childhood 
family, you know, like his childhood home, and I have it somewhere. And you thought you I should said drive nail. it through his palm. It looks like one of those yeah. Jesus nails from like, you know, from like one of the movies. Yeah, I it's saw a it in big, my mind. nasty nail. It lo- yeah. Well, it looks like a railroad spike, but a smaller railroad spike, yeah. but certainly a big motherfucker of a nail. Yeah, um, I'm having Jesus feelings about it. And I do believe that's what your dad should do with the nail. That's, still- yes. Or he can send it to me and I'll do it live on your podcast. Whoa. Screams Whoa. only. <laughs> now, now, speaking of Jesus feelings, you yeah. are the daughter of a clergy, but kind of he's an unorthodox clergy, correct? Yeah, very, very unorthodox. Yeah. No, he's a married Catholic priest. It's just such a rare kind of guy. Some yeah. people think we need more of them. And I'm like, judging from my dad, I don't know that we do. <laughs> <laughs> now, how did that come about? Was he married when he... Yeah. So I do go... Calling? I go into this in pre-study, but the reader can probably, at, at that point in the book, like feel my absolute impatience with even having to address this completely boring subject. But it's not actually that boring. So he was like this teenage rock and roll atheist, right? And he had like a big fro that he had grown out, and he had like these velvet pants and he was in a band and he didn't believe in God. And like, you would, he was that debate guy in class where he was like, a fetus is a parasite. He was that sort of dude. <laughs> and then- I don't he, know that guy. Uh, you, a fetus I think is a you, parasite. You might know that guy. That, he, was like, he was that kind of guy. So after he was done yelling that the fetus is a parasite in high school and playing his rock and roll, he uh, joined the Navy. He became a submariner. And he was subjected to repeated viewings of the exorcist on board the USS Flying oh, oh, Fish. Yes, yeah, so there was like a projector room. And I don't yeah, think yeah. they had a lot of choice. There wasn't a lot of variety in the movies that they got to see. Either that or they were just fucking clamoring for the exorcist night yeah. after night after night. But it scared the shit out of my dad. And he converted. Because of the exorcist. Because of the exorcist, yeah. Wow, and he wasn't even seeing the cut where she... Crawls the crawl, up the stairs the backwards. Crab crawl. Yeah. No, although wow. he did he, as soon as that came out, he got that and he showed it to me and he he like it was a cautionary tale. He's like, This could happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> so he watched that, he converted to uh Christianity. He became a Lutheran minister. He was already married to my mom at that point. My mom had grown up Catholic and was probably where, like hey, where had they met, if I may. Mm. So in Cincinnati, Ohio, they went to the same high school. She was the hall monitor, and she delivered a note to his class. Oh, wow. Which is very, I think that's still the dynamic that they have. Um, (laughs) She's like very much a hall monitor person. So yeah, she brought the note in. And, and he had, so a, he had she, a cop fantasy that he wanted to probably. Fulfill. Oh, yeah. totally. He, yeah. He's a police chaplain. So he rides yeah. around in a car with like oh, a little wow. police chaplain thing in the back. But I think it's just so that he doesn't get pulled over. It's so that he doesn't get tickets. Yeah. 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 It also gets you good parking spots at the, at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah. he loves cops. He wants to kiss cops. He just mm, mm. like he loves them. It's wow. a huge issue. Yeah. So he loves Way my to mom. go, William Friedkin. You really <laughs> messed this guy up. <laughs> <laughs> he did, I know. They they should have a conversation about that. So yeah, so he was married to my mom. He was a Lutheran minister. She was like, I'm sure the perfect Lutheran minister's wife. And then he converted again, probably because she was like whispering in his ear at night, be a Catholic, uh, flesh and blood, drink his blood. Transmogrification. Slices of his flesh. She was doing yeah. that while he was sleeping and he woke up and he was like, okay, yeah, that's for me. <laughs> so that's it's also roundabout. too, it's like, it's like he really wanted the hard stuff, oh, like the halfway, yeah. the, the halfway stuff. Of belief, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like none of that methadone. He wanted to completely, nearly die of an overdose of uh, religious faith yeah. and fervor. And they don't have any problem with that. Like, I'm a Lutheran minister. I want to be a priest. I got a wife. I got kids at this point. Yes yeah. or no? No, I yeah. was baptized Lutheran, so that says something about me. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, no, so there's a special loophole. There's a dispensation you can get if you're a, a married minister of another faith. And it's ones that are closer. It is like Anglicanism, Lutheranism, yeah. the ones that are like almost there but not quite. Right, right. Then you can apply to the the very special pope and get a dispensation. And yeah, there at that time were only like a 50 or 100 of them. They were always very like cagey about the number because they didn't actually want people to, again, find out that they could do this and then have this big influx of guys trying it, which I, I don't really think that would happen. It was a lot yeah, of hoops yeah. to jump through. Yeah. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Although if you did really, you know, if you were, you know, you wanted to be a priest, but you also wanted to fuck. 
Yeah. It's just like it's like the junior college mm-hmm. of, of priesthood. Absolutely. Yes. Just you just go you had be to be in the know. Yeah. You had to figure it out and you had to have some guy show you the way. So hopefully yeah. my book, Priestetti, is being used as like a manual now for someone else <laughs> to do that. Some other guy. Well, it's, it's a really funny book. And it's a really like I, I, I loved it. And as as somebody with I'm I'm actually looking up and seeing if it's on the shelf above me. Um but uh as I found though as a father like there was so much of it that made that made me so nervous yes. just because your childhood always seemed to be like the kind of skiing where you're somewhere between setting a world class record and also breaking your neck oh, like yeah, you're you are inches about to from fly disaster off the edge yeah every and that, second and it seemed like your entire childhood was that kind of stress. Yes. So I was acclimated to just very high altitudes of personality from a young age. Yeah, no, he, my dad, I could safely be described as like a manic depressive guy. And so actually when he was really high up, those were like the great times. That's when he was buying beautiful guitars and cars and the hugest TVs that he could get a discount for at Best Buy by flashing his collar. That's when Stairmasters, for some reason, uh, <laughs> treadmills occasionally. It was always something new. And those were the really great times, actually. And then, you know, the other times were a little bit lower. So I was accustomed to that. I thought that that is what people were like. Yeah. And is your mom sort of more grounded in that, in the sense? or She is. She- you might get the sense from pre study that she's very grounded. She's not. She's way the crazier one, actually. Oh, and really? I think she's, like, much more creative, but not in terms of, like, fluctuation of mood. She's just, like, tuned to a very high degree of danger. It's like she's got a siren going, like, on the top of her head that, like, is her red hair, basically. <laughs> and that is how she lives her life. So, in a way, she's the crazier one, I would say. Now... As a child, I mean, do you just have to, are you in, Are do you feel cared for or do you just feel like I'm in this, I'm in this like rock tumbler and I need to sh- get polished or I'm going to, you know, crack? Yeah it, yeah, it was more the second. I would not, I, I would say that I felt fairly unsafe as a child, yeah. but a lot of that was just, um sort of like geographical precarity. We were always moving. You never knew when he would get one of these ideas into his head and decide that he needed to uh, burn bridges with some bishop or something like that. And then, you know, two weeks later, you would be on the move. It was like we were in the witness protection <laughs> program um, in some special Catholic way. Yeah, no, I don't know if I would have felt particularly safe as a child anyway, though. I was very much given to believing that the police were after me no matter what. So an anxious child. And and how many siblings? So there are five of us. Wow. So it's a big, he got the full litter in there. Um, yeah. He very much believes in like physical intactness. As Catholics, that's a huge thing with them. It extends even to his dogs. He refuses to have any of his dogs spayed on the off chance that they will be fertile and, and multiply. Um, he just really, wow. really, really believes in reproduction. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Now... Growing up, did did you did you know what you wanted to be? Did you have ideas of like what yeah. you wanted to do? 
No, I always knew that I was going to be a writer, except for like this four month period where I decided that I wanted to be like a voice artist (laughs) um, who did voices for cartoons. I don't think that that would have been the life for me. And I don't even think it's a job. I mean, oh, it certainly is a job. It's a job. You can tell me some stories about this. You know, these guys who decided that they were going to be like the the cartoon voices when they were quite young. There's having done some cartoons. I mean, I'm a I'm a dabbler in cartoon voices and I was sort of grandfathered in from working in television and other things. But there's about, I would say, 15 people that do the voices of every cartoon on television. Like when I got to New York City and started working on the Conan show, uh, I got a voiceover who said like, yeah, you could do voiceover work. So I would go around to different auditions and stuff. And there again in New York City, this is advertising, this isn't cartoons. I'd see about the same 10 people. And then- and you'd start to wonder, like, well, how come it's always the same 10 people? And you think, and I started to realize, oh, it's just because it's manageable. You need, the advertisers only want one of about three or four things. It's okay. Advertising is even dumber than show business. <laughs> and so they only want one of four things. And so if they want this kind of guy, they oh. have three of those kind of guys. So there's just want, three. Amazing. If they want this kind of guy, <laughs> then they got a few of those too. So that you just pick from these and they don't go out and check and see like, who's the new amazing voice talent. Yeah. Because who gives a shit? the guys. Right, yeah, right. Just like, we got this manageable pool of talent. We'll just keep them. How, and so I was always a little like cynical about that. When I got out here and did here being LA doing cartoon voices, that I have no problem with the fact that there's ten or fifteen, uh, uh, ten or fifteen people doing them because they're fucking amazing. Yeah, no, they seem really, they're really am- amazing. Amazing because they do. They have kind of have their, you know, like their sort of wheelhouse voices. But then they're always in when you do a cartoon. They're going, oh, we got an incidental part. It's you know, like it's a nervous fish. Can you do oh. a nervous fish? And these fucking guys will go like, well, I got 10 different nervous fish and they're all fantastic. And they just rattle them off like beep, 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 beep. You do know? you have a nervous fish? Um, well, I could do something, I suppose. <laughs> glub, glub. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm like I say, I'm a, a, a dabble. I'm, yeah. I'm a pretender. I have about four voices. They have 30 voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and like, what just, kind of kids were these people? Because I do wonder that they were in the bathroom a lot is how I'm picturing I, it. Looking what? at themselves in the mirror doing the voices, right? Yes. This is how it works. Yes. And well, I did, I did, I did a voice uh, for the Madagascar movies. I got a job for that. And then I did the subsequent television shows. And the first Madagascar television show uh, was on Nickelodeon and it had all, like a lot of these guys that are just like standard voice mm. guys. And frequently you record separately, but this show, they used to like to record everybody together. And there was one point where I was sitting in the control room waiting, waiting for my turn, but there were like four or five of them in and everyone's sitting on a stool. They have a microphone in front of them. And if there's any downtime, they just start going, <laughs> like just making noises and they're all and i i at the time owned a parrot and the oh. place like the no it just reminded me of the parrot store like all these creatures sitting on perches just making noises for each other is it a, is it a dedicated store for parrots yes it's, it's a parrot pet store here in la okay. the perfect parrot the in, perfect. in uh i think it's in north hollywood it's on Riverside Drive. It's a fantastic store. What uh, happened to your parent, Andy? Uh, divorce. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. The uh, the parrot was kind of like bonded to me. No one I else see. could really take care of him. And then I just, I was moving to an apartment and I just didn't want to leave the bird alone for. I understand. That. 10, 12 hours a day. So I, he, and he's very happy now. He's, in fact, the, he, <laughs> this is so, this is so not about you. Actually, uh, I took him back to the I took him back to the parrot at the pet store, and Cam, the woman that runs it, had him, and she was only showing him to certain people. Macaulay Culkin owned my bird for about a year, and then for some reason had to again, like I like me said, like yeah, you the know, life of it a, won't work. Yeah, an actor. But I actually went over to Macaulay Culkin's house and. 
and like revisited my bird. And, uh, but now the bird lives at the store and is owned by uh, Kim that runs the store. And it, it, and he, they have a love affair, an ongoing, like when I see, when I went and saw him with her, I realized, oh, he, you know, I thought he loved me. He was never happy. No. (laughs) It was never a fulfilling relationship (laughs) compared to what he has with her. So. Okay, so does yeah. he still have your voice? Does he still have Macaulay's voice? Does he? Is it a repository of he's voices? Not, he, they're not. It's not a very talky breed. All he can, all he does is, and even the ones that that do say things, they sound like they have a, a tracheotomy. They have a voice like that. <laughs> all he would do is pretty bird. Pretty oh no! Bird. <laughs> Sounds like a very old man. Yeah, they're not like one of the one the breeds that can that the are amazing mimics. Ones. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. not one. They can of those. mimic like a fire truck and a dog. No, and I like that you your went mother, the yeah. bird that can almost say nothing. I, I like <laughs> yes. you're like I am getting a parrot, but it can say yeah. like two words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, anyway, enough about my birds. Enough people, about my parrot. So many people are going to complain. Like he would never even let her talk. He just talked about his fucking bird the whole time. Um, well. Uh, what point did you start to think, I got to get out of here? I got to get out of the parsonage. Is that what they call it in the Catholic Church? Is it the no, we call it the rectory, which the is a more anal right. yeah, word. Yeah, it is, very much. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes, like, the rectory was very close to the church. Other times, it was, like, a little ways across town. But, yeah, the one that I was in right before I met my husband on the internet, which is what you have to do, you know, when you're like, sure. trapped in a rectory or a convent. It was this old, old sort of um, stone Civil War era mansion that had been a stop on the Underground Railroad because it was right on the river. Yeah. Um, And there were secret passages and things like that in it. And of course, like we were using it for all the wrong things. It was like the opposite of a stop on the Underground Railroad. So I was like, I need to get out of this place. I moved into the convent next door, which was just like an abandoned convent. Wow. But- I loved it because I could just be on the internet all day. So there was just like a desktop computer there. And I'm like, you know, going into like Yahoo chat rooms and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, meeting Jason, who has been optimized now by coronavirus. But back then his ass was like spreading and not yeah. defined and just fluffy. I mean, yeah. Falling down, but yeah. behind his knees, <laughs> Decrepit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So back then, not so great. But right. yeah, he was from Colorado and he drove all the way to meet me. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, how did how did I end up in a relationship where I move again every two years. And it's like probably meeting a guy on the internet who comes yeah. out to meet you and his like Mercury mystique um, from Colorado. <laughs> that's the way you get yourself into that situation again. So that's, that's how it happened. Yeah. But my God, I, you know, just the way you describe it, I, I'm, I'm turned on. Yeah, I know. Mercury it was very sexual. Yeah. Wow. And we're like meeting in, in the abandoned convent. It was just the sexual energy was <laughs> off the charts. Insane. Yeah, we had never seen each other. It was, yeah. Um, yeah. Luckily, we're both very hot people, even though he was not yet optimized by the coronavirus. <laughs> he was still fine. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, yeah, okay, let's do this. And we just like hightailed it out of there. Had you, dated, any, had you dated anybody? Before, had you had... Like Many boyfriends, two guys. Yeah. First of all, like, why even date a man? I should have said to myself at the time, it's like not necessary. Can't believe that <laughs> women used to have to be married to men. But it was like two boyfriends. The first, Steve, uh, wanted to be a gynecologist. He wore like huge Jenkos and had like the wallet chain. And what he are Jenkos? I don't know what Jenkos. Oh, are. the really big wide leg jeans that we oh, wore okay. in the nineties. Andy, did okay. you miss I, that cultural moment? I yeah. did miss that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was huge, and it was like something was almost Christian about it. Like we we put Jesus in those jeans. They were so <laughs> big that we were like smuggling <laughs> the Lord in those pants. And he was not a hundred percent a Christian. But he did want to be a gynecologist, and I'm not going to – That's it's not a mainstream wish. I mean, I think you try to be a doctor, and then you're like, I love this pocket that I yeah, have. Yeah, my, yeah, This warm pocket that I have my hand in all day. I'm going in that direction. That's how people decide. I don't think you Wait, the whole hand? Off, the whole God, hand? My hand is in this warm place, and it's paradise. I'm a gynecologist now. That's that's my voice. If I'm the, the voice artist, that's my one voice. That is my one so he started out wanting to be – so we dated for like 30 days. Yeah. You can't go on too long with that kind of thing. Honestly, and who in a teen wants to be like – I mean, every teen – every teen boy, every straight cis het teen boy is interested in vaginas. But, 
I mean, come on, that's a bit much. You know? It's a lot, yes. And I never really got to know what it meant for us as a couple because I decided at the end of like 30 days that I wanted to be a nun. I was always deciding this when I was a teenager. I was, And probably I just meant like, get this fucking boy away from me, right? Yeah, and I was yeah. like that. It was just translating into that. And I was like, I'm going to be a nun, Steve. Get the hell out of here. Put your hand in a nice warm pocket and yeah. get out of my yeah. life. Yeah, No hands like, in me. Right, exactly. No hands. I'm not your puppet, Steve. Just Jesus's hands. <laughs> in yeah. my huge, huge pants. My pants were pretty big, too. The girls also wore the big pants. Okay. Like everybody did, yeah. Um. Well, okay, so then you and Jason, how old are you and, and Jason when you meet? Like 19. 19. Saying. Are you guys the same age? Uh, he is a year older. Okay. And so he shows up and you're like, bye. Basically, Everybody. this was this was post nine eleven, Andy. So anyone uh, like you were just doing whatever at that point because right, like right. the planes. It could seemed come like again. the world was over. Absolutely. How soon after nine eleven was it? Just a couple months. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> the world months. was really crazy. We baby. were reeling. Yeah, anything was possible, and it was just like, okay, yeah, we're we are. We are going to do this. Um, yeah, it sort of opened up vistas um, for those of us in the Midwest <laughs> who didn't really have a lot of tall buildings around. And he's a and he's a journalist, correct? Well, he was at that point. Luckily, he got out of that racket just in time for Donald Trump to be elected president of the United States. So he didn't ever have to be in a newsroom when that was happening. He now works for the museums uh, down here in Savannah, the museum system. Oh wow! System. Oh, that's so cool. that's just a lot more comfortable. As you can imagine, yeah. I mean, we were going through all of these extremely horrendous elections and like the stress level was completely off the charts anyway, but he knew exactly what was going to happen because his days on the news desk, he's like, he, here's how you look at the counties coming in. Here's how you do this, do this. So I always knew what was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen in the Georgia runoffs. So I was able to just put that in his hands and not have to follow the the news myself in that regard. So it was quite yeah. calm. But if he, I mean, the night that Obama was elected, I think the first night he ended up in the hospital, um, just out of like sheer stress, I think, happiness maybe from like covering that election. <laughs> like we literally like watched, you know, the results come in for that, like in the hospital. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he's had an eye issue, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's okay it, now, I mean, but yeah. Just, well, well, just to touch on it. You just know. to touch on that. No, he I mean, because it's not you, it's him and enough about him, but you know. Right. I know. It's like parrots, husbands, yes. eyes. Yeah. I mean, you, I just, I just feel it's about you in that I don't want you to be saddled with a blindie. Well, you know, he has little like lenses that uh, are very high tech inside the eye now. Yeah. He developed subcapsular cataracts. Um, the last time we lived in Savannah, so this was like 2014 or this was a long time ago now, mm -hmm. 2013, 2014. Yeah. And we raised the money on the internet and it was weird because it was like the, one of the first, I remember in that sort of like GoFundMe wave of people. I remember sort of it like too. Yeah. Crowdfunding. Yeah. I, I think money. I gave you money. You probably gave me fucking money. I probably yeah. never thanked you. And I'm not even grateful for it, Andy, you because might. you're well, a doesn't rich matter. Motherfucker <laughs> who has all the parrots yes. and the voiceover yes. work that he wants and craves. <laughs> well, now was was college in your in your? I mean, you said you wanted to be a writer, and usually, yeah. you know, you kind of you have to go through some sort of writing factory. You college have to get experience. educated. You have yeah. to learn some. You got to get your brain right. You got to be Rory Gilmore at Harvard, uh, <laughs> getting the coronavirus, I guess. No, I wanted to go to uh, St. John's College, which was a great book school, but I was not able to go because my dad just like bought guitars with that money, I think. <laughs> so, oh, Paul boy. McCartney's lefty guitar, custom made for him, but then he didn't want it. So my dad bought it instead. It's a good story. No shit, really? He got a guitar that Paul McCartney oh, yeah. did not want. Wow. Yeah. I know it's really incredible. It's like, well, if you didn't want it, Dad, like, yeah, I think yeah. it's being foisted on you by this guy who's like, "How am I going to unload this like lefty guitar signed by Paul McCartney?" That's not, you know, what? Yeah, where is yeah. the market for that? Right, right. So I think well, that's where my education was. But I mean, that's fitting, right? That that's my college years just like poured right. into Paul McCartney's lefty, unwanted guitar. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. 
From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? How do you, I mean, how do you start a career? You, you, you know, you take off with this, <laughs> this gadfly that, Himbo. you know, yeah. this mystique driving, you know, damaged goods, broken eyed motherfucker. Well, that with was the drooping not, yeah. buttocks. You yeah. Know. The, his, his butt was more of an issue at that <laughs> point. I was like, whoa. <laughs> but I mean, how do you, is I, is it the internet? Is that kind of what's Probably, yeah. yeah. It took like 10 years. And and to his credit, he was just like, this is my, it was more like, this is my damaged wife that I take care of. And I like carry her upstairs to her canopy bed every night because <laughs> she's a veal. And that's just what I have to do. That's what I signed up for. No, I mean, I would occasionally have like a bookstore job. I would occasionally have a waitressing job. But I mean, looking for me, you're like, she's not cut out for it. You know, she's like, everyone's tipping her because she's friendly, but she's not getting the orders right. Um, We don't want her in our restaurant. So I was not economically a useful person. Uh Um, Yeah. So it was just like, I, I was just like submitting my poetry for like 10 years trying to get a book of poetry published because that's what you do when you want to be rich and get the right, uh, right, exactly. flung at you. Yeah. When, you're, when you're a real go-getter. <laughs> when you're a hustler, yeah. that's what you do. Uh, yeah, and I think that that is what I would have continued to do, but the internet sort of intruded in the sense that um, it made it possible, I think, for me to have a wider audience. And pre-steady, I think, there was was the result of my, my Twitter presence. It was sort mm-hmm. of like, well... What can I do? I do need to earn some money because my husband has had this surgery and I need to carry my weight for once. Um, I need to start walking up the stairs myself. Uh, and pre-study was really the result of that. It was yeah. kind of like a, I need to dig us out of this hole uh, as quickly as I can sort of thing. But then, because I am an artist, we do call ourselves artists as well. Uh, I also had to make sure it was a really good book. Like yeah, I had to write a good book, and yeah. it really well. I mean, you are a you are a, a, a amazingly talented writer. I just, in fact, I just saw somebody from your new book, the name of which is what's no one is talking about. No one, this. no one yeah. is talking about this. No How fitting that I would forget that. <laughs> I knew it was a phrase. I have a terror, but um, but I heard somebody posted a clip from it, and and. Actually, it was Steve Soberman, who's uh, a writer and an uh, uh, autism activist. Yes. Said, um, he said like this, he goes, I would kill to be able to write like this. That is so cool. And I think there's so many, so many, so many excerpts from your work that can make, I feel that. I feel like just your facility with the language and your ease with it. And just you feel like it's. Like you run English. English doesn't run yeah, you. I run it. I do. Yeah. Run it. yeah. <laughs> I had to figure it out. I mean, it was weird to me. Language was weird to me all the way back. I would sort of like stare at books and I would try to crack the code, right? I didn't yeah. understand it on an intuitive level. And when that's true, you figure out how to run the game. You you figure out what everything means. You go in deeper than other people go in because you need to figure it out. But it's it's cool that you say that because like I am I am on the spectrum for sure. Oh really? And I do consider no one is talking about this to be like an autistic book. Um, and and part of it like I don't think the character is aware of it, but there's definitely parts where she's like stimming or she's caught in a loop, like she's inside yeah. the internet. And I think it's definitely true that like neurodivergent people go to the internet for something that they don't necessarily receive from the yes. outside world. So it's not explicit, but yes, I do very much consider it to be. Uh, yeah, an autistic book. And it's kind of, and it's an internet book in that it's yeah. kind of in the way that it's structured. I haven't read it yet. I've seen I kind of looked at it and it seems it's, like it's It's going to take a, you an afternoon. It's easy. I yep. know, and I and like I said I am embarrassed that I haven't done it <laughs> yet because no, I because I was excited. I asked about 
you know, getting you on the show. And then I wanted to read it beforehand and I didn't. And, you know, everyone's bad, having trouble reading. No. Are you having trouble reading I'm, books? I'm in having an awful, oh, awful so time sorry. reading anything. And but I'm having a hard time. Like, this is the time, too, that. You know, now it's going on a year and like I'm sitting here like, where are the screenplays, Andy? Where are the yeah. pilots? Where I are know, the essays? Right? And all I can fucking do. I mean, well, I I put down the vape pen, so that helps. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but I, uh, all I can really do is like, you know, cook meals for my kids when they come over and watch binge, like, you know, the French crime show that uh, on Netflix, you know? So I, I, and I, a friend of mine, uh, just, he said like, you know, this isn't the, this is the time to consume. This is the mm-hmm. time to not be a culture provider, but a cult, a culture consumer. You're yeah. incubating, and I'm like, wow, well, I love it when people when Make people you feel rational, better about, rationalize right? my my inaction. Yeah, I thought about that too because for me, I thought it was because I got COVID and my brain completely melted, and I was like, yeah. if that hadn't been true, I would have written like four books, you know, four like quarantine books, four lockdown books, um, and I would have loved it because I'm always a person who liked to be locked in my house. I'm quite reclusive in certain ways when I'm not like traveling. But no, at the beginning, I was like, yeah, I'm ready for this. I can do this. But then I actually got it. And then I thought, that's why I couldn't read. But I was doing an event with Tommy Pico the other night. He was he said that my book was the first book he had read all year. Oh, wow. And I was like, holy shit. And yeah. then I'm like, well, what are people doing? Are they watching like TV, the French crime they're shows? Watching, as they're watching say. everything. So what it happened to me like- was that I got like extremely into art movies. So maybe I just went more into the visual direction. I, I suddenly was watching all like the most serious Criterion Collection movies yeah, yeah. that I never got to watch in college. And for some reason, I was able to pay attention to those as if they were real life. Uh, and sometimes it was like they were this window on the world of like being outside. Like I... I was watching Secrets and Lies, that Mike Lee movie, and it was just like every single millisecond in it was real. It felt like, you know, when you were a teenager and you would go to the the art house theater in the afternoon because the tickets were discounted then, and you would see this really serious movie that was like this window on the world. And so I was able to watch movies in that way, and I wasn't able to read books, which had previously been my window. So I wonder if everyone's having something like that, where there's some... Previously unexplored. I think that that, I, well, I think that that's, you know, it's the basic thing between like a book for me can be transportational, which is like what, which is what I want out of a work of art anyway. I want transportation out of myself. I want, I want to forget me. Um, And a book you can do that, but I have, like, I have attention span issues. So I, I have a hard time reading and it really takes a like a James Elroy kind of, okay. you know, like, you know, like a book that reads you more than you read it. Yeah. It just goes <laughs> bop, 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 and you right. just kind of get in it. And it's like a downhill shoot of. Yeah. Type plot. and trench coats. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, well, just that the, the writing is so. Carries you. Ha- yeah. That has such a progress to it. Yeah. That I because sometimes there I mean, there's even beautiful books that I really enjoy, but I just it's hard for me to get through because of just the fact that I'm reading words and processing them. Whereas I think when you're sitting and looking at images that you're, that there's, you know, it's, it's the closest there is to a drug without being a drug. It's that, you know, you're, you know, you could play it on a helmet and that would be even more sort of immersive, but movies are pretty immersive, you know, or they can be certainly. That's how it felt. And it wasn't that it wasn't true of me before, but suddenly it was just this this realm that it opened up. But the interesting thing about no one is talking about this is because it is written in the fragment style, I think people are having an easier time reading it. I didn't think about this being true, but because especially the first section is more like written in the style of the internet, of something like Twitter, people are able to scroll Twitter right now. And it's not as difficult, I think, to make the shift to that, which is not yeah. something I expected. Yeah. Um, I didn't think about it being read in that way. I didn't think it, about it being read by a bunch of people who are essentially locked in their homes, you yeah. know, like unable to consume um, like Henry James and and yeah. the more serious works of literature of the the Western canon. Well, you, you mentioned Twitter and I mean, and that's how I first got to know you. And I think that's how a lot of people first got yeah. to know you. There was, uh, and there was a poem, uh, the rape joke, yeah. Uh, poem that you wrote that kind of, I think, got a lot of attention and got a lot of, but I mean, before that you were writing this, 
Like uh, your Twitter account is just, it's, it's, it's kind of one of the, one of the, uh, the, the Niplu ultra. I don't know if I'm using that phrase, right. Of Twitter <laughs> accounts, because you're doing something so weird and different with it, yeah. especially in the old day. I, you know, you're not, you don't seem to be as active as you used to be on it, yeah. but you should just write the most beautifully weird, you know, little chunks of your brain, you no, know, fling in those chunks. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that was it a conscious decision to kind of make this book that same sort of like choppy, chunky little, you know, yes, it, little it was nuggets, little you know? nuggets. I'm thinking of like Alpo. I'm thinking of like, you know, in a movie <laughs> when they sort of just, I'm thinking of nuggets of gold. No, it was like that. I, I, I was noticing, I, I did have all of these observations when I was reading Twitter, like, sort of like micro thoughts, really. They were almost more like, you know, like antennae moving uh, in the air or something like that. Things that I noticed that didn't seem to exactly belong in Twitter itself. And then there's also the thing where whenever, you know, you you have a an idea as a writer, you sort of think, is this for the book or is this for the internet? Which is not something that previously people had to decide, but it's something yeah. they have to decide now. So yeah, it became a thing where I removed myself more in order to make those observations. But I found also that the more people follow you and the more people who you don't know who are interacting with you, the quieter you become. It was really only the fact that no one knew who I was that I was able to enter into this free space and just like say whatever the hell because no yeah. one was listening. It's like, let's figure out what we can do here. It seemed like a very, very elastic sort of space. Yeah, and but low stakes. Very, no very consequences. low stakes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Certainly not then. This was like 2011 yeah. and you were really just, it was like the the pure contents of your own horrible brain. You were yeah, that's, spilling I mean, out. That, that's what drew me to it was yeah. that and and because they are like little word puzzles. Yes. And and as somebody who writes jokes, it's a great way, you know, like to I'm not a stand up. So if I come up with a joke, I can't hold on to it and go tell it at the chuckle hut. I have the to chuckle. Hut. I got to give it to somebody. And so yes. I put it on Twitter. But I also love the layering of something where you can do in that short period of time. You can plug three or four ideas yeah. Into one little chunk of words yeah. where you can, you, you know, and that was like, it's tr it can be tremendously exciting. And I think that like as a form, it can be really, you know, it could, uh, it's, yes, it's a sewer and yes, it's, you, you know. A, These rats a, running around. Yeah, <laughs> a big hate pit. But, yep. you know, it also too is like, there's a lot of amazing people who got to show their brains to the world and you're yes. one of them. And also I think, much more so than in a lot of other other formats or other media, a lot of women. Like yeah. there's a, a lot of really funny, talented women that you can point to, oh, it was Twitter. You yeah. know, they got onto Twitter. Yeah, because it was a sort of free field. It was also completely transparent to the outside world. So a yeah. lot of times we would be talking to each other, you know. A lot of what's happening on Twitter is like people talking amongst themselves, among their own kind. Yeah. And the rest certainly, of the world— I'm I'm talking to my friends. Yeah, I'm you know? talking I'm talking to my friends there, which is why it gets so weird when suddenly you get a bunch of followers because you're like, wait, who are these people? And you're yeah. sort of like looking at the limits and you're looking at who you're talking to and it doesn't quite feel the same. But yeah, especially in those early days, I would go into the most insane states of uh, hyper-focus, just like looking at my phone. And it was one of those like fold-out phones back yeah, then. Yeah. And I would just like type and type and type until I got it right. And it would last kind of a long time and it was a state of total bliss where you were trying to get this joke correct, right? Yeah. And it was like you were moving little tiles around. Yeah, very um, constructive, yeah. very much yeah. a construction, yeah. Yes, very much so. And probably you have like ADHD too, right? Like probably I, you have oh some, boy. absolutely, yeah. Oh so boy. it was like a, a pleasure for us to be yeah. in that place where we can, and you're right too, that there's the impulse to give, that you have these ideas or you make this thing and then you say, here, this is for yeah. you. Yeah, and it's yeah, and it's and I just did it because I like it, and it's funny, and I like that you like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You said, you know, like you, you know, being a world eater like you are, you started out trying to write poems uh, for different people. Um, so I take it that like fame and notoriety was that a part of your early plan? Like, was that was there a fantasy of like someday I'm going to be? Well, no, because you are. And I wonder, is that okay? Like, do you, 
there was this new weird thing, Twitter, that made you famous. And is that, how does that feel? I thought I was going to be famous after I died. I never thought about the part where people might know who I was when I was alive. So I had this very long game in mind where I think I was like wearing a toga and I was in sort of like a Valhalla type place and people uh-huh. knew who I was there, right? Because right. I had been, you know, like raised with these heavenly ideas, right? So I thought that's what was going to happen. I would be strumming a little lyre maybe and right. people would know what my name was. After um, your death from drinking thousands nightshade. Thousands of years, yeah, yes. Yeah. From, yeah, eat, like drinking hemlock or like eating right. some sort of toxic plant, but I never thought about it while I was alive and it didn't enter into it at all. And I I really thought that I would be like in a hut somewhere. Mm -hmm. And during that 10 years where I was sort of trying to make it, uh, I I never really thought about it then either. I don't know what my end game was for my own life uh, in my writing while I was alive. I didn't think about that. I was like, don't worry. One day you'll be dead and then they'll know that that's as far as it ever got for me, which is like too far. Maybe that's a, that's insane. But are you okay with it now? I mean, does it is it is it a good thing? Is it a fun thing? Is it a weird thing? Is it a scary thing? It feels better when I can talk to people in real life. Yeah. Uh, whatever is happening now is not a very comfortable feeling. It was difficult to do a, like a major press push for this new novel when I couldn't speak to anyone in person, when I was having these really distanced, weird photo shoots where I'm like, you know, crouching in the cold and like a bush and, you know, someone is like this many feet away, like taking a picture of me. That doesn't feel quite right, but probably it wouldn't feel right for anyone. Right. But when you are in a room full of people and you can touch them and you can talk to them and you can receive their energy, then it feels okay. That is that is all right with me because I'm still anonymous in my own room. I still go into my room and that's where I am myself and no one knows me then. Yeah. But yeah, as, as far as the world knowing me, it's only okay when I get to be in the world, right? Not now. <laughs> like, <laughs> not right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well... um, What's, do you have any, like, do you have any long-term sort of goals? This um, is so interesting, because I did go into this thinking that we would address the three questions. Yeah, that well, that's the, that's the idea. That's the know. idea. And I was, I have to tell you, Andy, when I looked at the questions, I, it was like someone just took an eraser to uh, the whiteboard of my mind and just completely, <laughs> I was like, there's no way I will ever be able to answer any of these questions. So I had to, when I took my my mushrooms the other day, yes. um, then I had to consider the questions on mushrooms. And then I felt more comfortable with it. I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can talk about these things now. Yeah. But it literally took me, I had to take magic mushrooms so that I could look at those questions and, and feel that I could have a proper conversation. About Is that a regular uh No, it was the first time. Oh, it wow. Was, yeah, it was for the post-COVID stuff. I was like, well, first of all, it's good for people who have had like traumatic brain injuries. Uh, it's good for people who have depression and things like that. So if we yeah, don't know yeah. exactly what it is and you're still having like these neurological issues, maybe magic mushrooms out in the woods are your answer, right? And actually it really did help. I've been having a lot of trouble reading and I was able to read like instantly the next day. Oh, wow. That's great. So it, was, it was really cool. Yes. Yeah. I've often considered, cause I'm, I'm, I haven't done mushrooms in a million years. Million years. Um, and, but, and they were always, you know, they were, all, it was always just, you know, Hey, let's, take a bunch of mushrooms and laugh at each other at, you right. know, at somebody's shitty apartment in Chicago, but you know, but, but the, the people talking about microdosing and things, it's a very intriguing thing. Yes. So that's what I did. It was honestly like a piece that was like the size of my thumbnail Yeah, and yeah. it was perfect. Cause you didn't think you couldn't like trip balls and jump off the edge of a building yes, or something. Yes, it was yes. just like, I'm just going to go to the beach and the waves are going to look a little bit nicer. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to be able to consider these uh, Andy Richter's questions that previously <laughs> had me in a blind panic. And then I was not able to think about it all suddenly on the microdose you were able to do that so yeah you should try it if you so, as like a hollywood I, creature have actually i think i just may i'll i'll be right back <laughs> um uh well so what is what did the mushrooms tell you that where you're going um no i don't remember i didn't i wrote it down <laughs> i wrote a very extensive thing called my mushroom journal yeah and part of it was about bunny whaler this was on Saturday, and then he died like three days later. Oh, well, you killed him. I well, don't you say killed that. Him with your mushroom I did. Power. I am very psychic, so I did. I probably was thinking about him and thinking wanting I'm, to yeah, yeah. listen to the bunny whaler because it was coming. Um, but yeah, so I wrote this this whole diary about it, and now I don't remember uh, a single word at all. I see what? a path 
disappearing over the crest of a hill, Andy, and the sun is setting. I mean, I guess maybe it's possible I'm dying as well. I perhaps it showed me my own we're mortality. All dying. We're all dying. We're all, we're all we're dying. All, we're all bunny whaler. <laughs> all of us. All of us. I don't think all of us are bunny whaler. Some of us are bunny whaler, and it's bunny whaler. No, I think that I, I was thinking just a lot. You asked, like, you know, where where do you come from? And I believe that I wrote down that I came from hell. And then you asked, you know, where are you going? And I think that I was just like, I'm going on a plane when all of this is over. I'm getting yeah. on a fucking plane yeah, yeah. and I'm going around the world. Like, where is the first place you want to go when you get on yeah. that plane? Do you not, are you somebody that doesn't really like think that way? Like, what? Do, where am I? Yeah. No. In fact, I never think about the future. Yeah. I have like very intense recollections of the past. But no, if you ask me about my future, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I don't have a future. I'm already dead in a toga in the halls of Valhalla, <laughs> strumming my little lyre. So yeah, so maybe I need to take a larger dose and just absolutely do the tripping balls thing. Well, and be you able don't, to see my own future. You, you don't wanna, think I need to You don't have to. No, I mean, you it's just because to. I'm the same way. I mean, I'm very much, you know, if, if I was to have to answer that question, like, where are you going? I would be like, well, just getting better. You know, just trying just, to just do getting it one better. One day at a time. Yeah, yeah. I did picture like the keep on trucking, like the bumper sticker. I was picturing like 70s posters and bumper stickers. And I was feeling very alien to these concepts, you know, these, these sorts of questions uh, by which like other people um, organize and structure their lives, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So acquisitions I was, I was like, and, and milestones and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So I was like, maybe I, I travel back to the 70s on my magic mushrooms and i just like hitchhike yeah. across in the your bell bottoms in my huge your huge bell bottoms jeans that you can hide ninjas in yes and yeah. jesus christ i mean that was a big jesus decade huge yes oh my god yes and hippies for jesus that was a hippies jesus hippies yeah jesus 100 jesus was the ur hippie well okay so what's the point what's the point of the uh, patricia lockwood story mm. that's the what have you learned part of the question it's interesting. Well, I think it might make a little bit more sense when you do read the new novel. That is kind of the question that is addressed. Yes. Uh, so the, the first section really is about um, the protagonist sort of leading this life inside the internet, almost as if she's trapped inside the internet. Mm -hmm. And the second half of the book is about her learning to be a pair of hands, I would say, yeah. is about caring. It's it's about transforming yourself into some useful, capable pair of hands that can Thought. carry things, that can lift things. Thought into uh, action. That can hold, yeah. yeah. So I, that is what I would say too. And I, I, I think finding these, these very small, direct human ways to be useful that then are not small, that move you know, their way into the macrocosmos, that become very large because you're applying them to, to the things that are around you. Yeah. Uh, and, and then they expand, I think. Well, that's pretty good. It's not bad. Yeah. Maybe I, I should have had more mushrooms. <laughs> uh, get back to me. I'll give you I'll give you a zoom, a zoom link that you can click on to yes. anytime that you want You have you to one. update me on yours if you do When decide. you're really trembled. I will. I would say I will, that it actually. really helped. It actually did really help not to be like Silicon Valley drug guy, but wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. I'll check it out. I mean, I, I I don't know. I I mean, I say I would say like I don't know where to get them, but I'll figure something you, out. You I, I mean, think you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I live in Burbank, California. You can all. find a little mushroom here or there. You, you yeah, can go yeah. into a field and you can count it, right? Grow my own. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. You know what yeah. to do. You yeah, know what yeah. to do. <laughs> well, Patricia, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day, out of your out of your Savannah day. And um and my best to you. And the the book is called No One Is Talking About This. And uh, and I gotta I'm gonna read that motherfucker. You should I'm gonna read, read the shit out of it. Read I'm the gonna shit out of that book. I'm gonna Andy. put it right on the Kindle tonight. So um is that, and yeah. by the way, is that better? Is it better for me to buy it hard copy or is it better? Does that make a difference to the writer? 
I don't think it makes much of a difference. I think that it's like better to support a local bookstore. So in that sense, you're able to do that. But also like, I find that I have better memories of books that I read that are print. Like I read on my Kindle all the time for a while because I traveled a lot and it was just a lot more convenient. I could have all my books on there. But then I was like, I'm not remembering these books very well. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So then I went back to physical books and I I have like better sense memories, I think, of those. So maybe try to read it in hardcover. And you can't level a, a wobbly table with a Kindle. You can't. There's so yeah. many uses for for the physical book that I That's think the right. Kindle has not yet reached. Yeah. yeah. Try spanking somebody with a Kindle. It's exactly. well, you it's probably dangerous. could. Yeah, it's you could, hard. but it's, yeah, it's you're going to break actually. your Kindle. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, love to you and yours. Um, and uh, we will get back at you next time on the three questions. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Got a big, big love. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blayert, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my loves are growing? This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.